Hey guys, welcome back to the Elite Coaching Podcast. We are on episode 19 at the moment with Dr. Michelle from the Fit Clinic. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Having a, having an awesome day um, an awesome day so far. Thank you very much for coming on and giving your time um, to speak about uh, female health. We're going to be touching on um, some faster training considerations, and then we're going to be taking a little bit of a dive into hypothalamic amenorrhea and just some kind of overall considerations. But before we, we jump into the actual podcast itself, I think it's always interesting to get our, our guests to just maybe speak a little bit about themselves and, and about kind of what their primary business is, who they help, what's their kind of main focus point within their business. So do you want to just give a little bit of, I know it's very uncomfortable giving an intro to yourself, <laughs> but do you want to give a little intro into yourself and what it is that you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I suppose it all started with my, um, I started doing a BSc in DCU in sports science and health. And then from there, I went straight into a PhD in nutrition. Um, and during that time doing a PhD, I set up the Fit Clinic, which, yeah, it was just meant to be kind of like a hobby page and turned into something totally different, <laughs> clearly. Um, so I started taking on clients um, at the time when I was doing my PhD. And then it just really just like evolved organically from there. And I started taking on um, other nutritionists and nutritional therapists. Um, so we now have the most incredible team of 12 nutritionists and nutritional therapists and they are oh my god like they're amazing they're so much better than me at what we do they're I suppose because I focus a lot on the business side of things they have that extra time to really delve into the research and keep up to date whereas that's kind of something that I, I often struggle with um they are honestly amazing at what they do like we would be lost without them and I think our clients are so lucky to have them so what's great is that because we have such a diverse team we can work with so many different areas so we will have nutritionists who specialize in female hormones and fertility and um, menopause and um, pcos ha then we'll have nutritionists who specialize in relationship with food so um sometimes this is actually a really good crossover for ha and sorry for what, what i mean by ha for people who don't know is hypothalamic amenorrhea and um, just a bit of a mouthful um so yeah, people with um, struggling with their relationship with food, um, weight loss, sports performance. So anything female health related really is what is. Yeah, that's essentially our jam, what we love to do. Amazing. I think from, for myself, I actually know two people who went through a uh, next client of mine and a good friend of mine, Keen, Keen O'Rourke, who was actually on, on our podcast. He done an episode on the mm-hmm. podcast as well. And I know firsthand, you know, what you guys can offer and what I think it's great. It, it's not categorized to just one type of uh, client base you deal with everyone from people just looking to lose weight like i said sports performance it's a whole branch um just one one, one thing that just kind of came to my mind there and i i'm sorry if i just constantly jump in and out of things but when you say something i always want to ask a question because even for myself i think this is quite interesting so when you started off the business it was just yourself what i suppose sparked that interest in you to actually start to grow the team because that's something that i'm doing at the moment and we're starting to kind of grow and develop our team what was that light bulb moment for you to say okay maybe i need to you know bring other people in to to maybe grow this what was that moment to be honest i was like kind of in the middle like slap bang in the middle of doing my phd which which was a huge amount of work i was like writing up my thesis and doing research trials and i also had 60 clients checking in with me every single week and it reached a point where i just couldn't manage the workload anymore so you know yourself I'm sure it's so difficult to really like if you're a control freak and you love your business and you love what you do it's so difficult to relinquish that control and so that took a very very long time I think eventually I just burnt out and was like I can't do this on my own anymore and I was also mindful that yes I could reduce how many clients we were taking on but we like ultimately we want to help people that's why we do what we do I'm sure I've no doubt that you're the exact same so um yeah it took a long time to really convince myself to take someone on it was actually my husband um he would be kind of very like business focused whereas I am just yeah I just like the nutrition side of things whereas he would kind of have the more business business acumen which is great um so his I think this is actually kind of a common rule so like you will never be able to find someone that is a direct clone of you unfortunately <laughs> but if you can find someone who can is essentially what you would consider 80 percent of what you do then that's a really really good recruitment so yeah it, it just kind of started from there and once um, we took on our first nutritionist um, yeah my confidence grew in them and yeah it's kind of just grown organically from there did you find it hard initially to oh my god and the reins over so yeah. hard yeah so hard I'm such a control freak um but that's cool, I think 
a control freak slash perfectionist well yes exactly yeah perfection is probably better right <laughs> um but yeah it is it's really really hard because ultimately like it's your baby um it's it's grown um from nothing essentially and yeah you kind of created the entire framework so it is it is difficult to take somebody on but once you realize that the people that you're taking on are just as passionate as, as doing what we're doing as you are then um yeah you're on to a winner and you went so you got 12 did I hear you correct earlier on you put 12 yeah no okay yeah. amazing what an incredible team and I the fact that you've got so many different specialists in I've, I've heard you on a podcast before speaking about like the different types of people you have worked in the business and different types of nutritionists it's great to have that that kind of focus point so I actually found this very interesting when you were talking about the kind of onboarding process of bringing, bringing new kind of clients into the business. When you have your initial consultation, you actually kind of strip them back and say, okay, where's your problem? And you kind of redirect the problem to whoever is the best suited in the team. Isn't that right? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I could very often, I do a discovery call with someone um, just to, just to learn, okay, what is it that you're looking to achieve? What are you looking for help with? And see if we can really bridge that gap to where they are now and ultimately where they want to be. Um, so you know yourself, like it's not a case that someone is just going to come to you and they're just a PCOS client. There's always going to be something else. They're going to have digestive issues. They're going to have maybe a poor relationship with food. So what's great is that we have, like we call, we call ourselves the brain trust. So like we have our WhatsApp group that is just so amazing. So someone might get a client and say, yes, okay, I'm a pro of PCOS. I know exactly what to do, but this girl is, is actually struggling with her digestion. So one of our nutritionists will be able to help with that. Okay. It was just really lovely that it's such a collaborative approach because okay. you're never going to get someone that fits into the PCOS box, the fertility box, the digestion box. There's, there's always like a kind of a, um, there's a range of different issues that people will have and different goals. So it's great that we all have each other to lean on. Incredible. Yeah. And having that collective Approach, yeah. you know, instead of one mind trying to solve a problem you've got 12 who can all have an individual input but I think even for myself it's, it's a very hard thing to be able to do is just like you said ha- hand the reins over but we have yeah. one, one girl Jody who's working for us now and she's absolutely incredible and she's only the start of her career so we're really just molding her into that mm-hmm. online coaching it's, it's working really well so I'm actually excited for that that aspect of my business to take flight now and start moving in in that direction so right, we, won't, we won't turn this into a business podcast <laughs> but, but speaking <laughs> of what we had to talk about so what really kind of triggered this in my mind, I saw a post you, you put out recently um, about fasted training. And for myself, it was a real light bulb moment, even for me, to just have somebody else to say, look, fasted training can cause a little bit of a, I suppose, maybe an impact or a hindrance on hormonal health. And I, I really wanted to just hear this from yourself. So obviously, when you put out that post, I'd imagine for a lot of people, it sparked that that light bulb moment say, okay, maybe I should be taking some other considerations when my clients are resistance training or training first thing in the morning. So do you want to just speak a little bit about maybe what, what, what happens when a client trains fasted from a hormonal standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. So like one thing um, that I would be mindful of is that basically Hey, we're back. Sorry, we had a slight technical malfunction, but, but we are back. Okay, so with fasting, one thing that we always need to be mindful of, of is that a lot of the fasting research has been done in men. So um, you might follow this. Um, she's a nutritionist. She has a PhD in nutrition as well. Her name is Dr. Stacey Sims. Um, and her saying is women are not small men. And what we mean by that is we can't just take what's been done in men and the research that's been done in men and just apply it to women and hope that we respond the same way. We are completely different physiological beings. We are so much more complex. I would say so much more interesting. That's why I think we love working with females. Um, We're so much more complex and it's not a case that our body will just instantly respond in the same way as a man will to fasting. And So I would always say like, we need to be mindful of like protecting our hormones and really honoring our hormones. We have, we really, really have to nurture um, that, that mechanism that we have in our body. It's not as straightforward as the reproductive system that a male has. Um, So 
one thing with fasting is fasting acts as a stressor on the body. And this is one of the reasons that it has these kind of myriad of beneficial effects because it acts as a stressor. Um, it kind of, not to go into the intricacies of it, but it stimulates a thing called cellular um, autophagy, which basically means that our body clears up this kind of cellular debris that we kind of generate on a daily basis. That's what fasting does, but it does act as a stressor on our body. And anything that is stress related is potentially going to negatively impact our female hormones and impact our menstrual cycle. So one thing I would say is that this doesn't mean that women can't do faster. They can't do like time restricted feeding. Um, but one thing I would say is look at what I would call your stress bucket. So what everyone has a different stress bucket. My stress bucket might be smaller or bigger than the next person. So I'm able to cope with more stressors than another person. And when we lump in all of our different stressors, so our exercise, our high intensity interval training, um, our psychological stressors, our, um, our, our, like our financial stresses, our work stresses, all those different things. And then we add in fasting and we add in low carbohydrate or low fat diets or calorie restrictions, a lack of sleep and all those different things. If we add them into our stress bucket, what can very often happen for women is our stress bucket overflows. And when our stress bucket overflows, it's like saying to our body, this is not a safe environment to bring a baby into because our body doesn't understand the difference between stress from fasting and stress from actually being threatened and running away from a bear and trying to fight for survival. So essentially what can happen is it can really, really disrupt our menstrual cycle and really disrupt our female hormones. So I would just say, be really, really mindful of those stressors. So always we instinctively think of stressors as, oh yeah, my work stress and my financial stress, but there's stressors all around us, all around us in our environment. So like our nutrition and um, our exercise, our sleep, they can all, um, contribute to to um that stress kind of load um so it's just something to be mindful of and as i said i'm not saying that nobody can do fasting it's just looking at all of your different stressors and saying okay well maybe i could reduce my hit training down to instead of like four days a week i'll just do it one or two days a week and maybe up the resistance training instead um or i'm going to work on my sleep before i start doing intermittent fasting or i'm going to maybe up my calories um, and up my carbohydrates and then maybe try intermittent fasting so it's just something um it's something that females need to be mindful of men just don't need to be mindful of these kind of things unfortunately but we absolutely just need to be um protective of an, and nurturing of our reproductive health just, one thing I, I want to um just ask when you were speaking about that there so if you were say we had a client who maybe was having a prolonged cycle so the cycle length usually is 28 days it's quite like clockwork and all of a sudden we're at a 35 day or a 40 day cycle would one of those first considerations as a coach if your client was training fasted would you maybe advise them to move away from fasted resistance training as that might be caused not i think it's causing the problem but like i said it's one of those boxes that you would need to sort of tick as a, as a clear insight and say okay that's that's one aspect of stress down yeah, potentially. So like if you are getting a longer cycle, it means that your ovulation is being delayed for some reason, especially if they're coming to you and saying, oh, my cycle was normal prior to this. Yeah. It's always important to see, OK, what was their baseline? So typically, like obviously the ideal cycle is 20 is 28 days, but someone might be like kind of 26 to 32. That's what we would look look to as being like our ideal to get people within that range. So if they're coming to you and saying my cycle was this, then I implemented these changes and yeah. now it's it's approaching 35, 40, 45. We need to look and see, OK, what are what's going on here and like I always say to clients like we kind of take a helicopter view of what's going on we don't just hone in on one thing and very often for a client it's difficult to see when you're so you know yourself when you're so close to something so it's nice for us to come in and say let's look at everything let's look at everything that you're doing with nutrition everything that you're doing with your lifestyle everything you're doing at exercise your sleep your stressors and see where it is that um, we might be going wrong so yeah that might be kind of a red flag as to why um, someone's cycle might be lengthening out that little bit more and would there be ever any other considerations around fasting or fasted training that we would need to take like, or any other maybe signal signs, like if somebody was really suffering with digestion, could it maybe be impairing their digestion? Obviously, the stress elevation could, it might be impairing their sleep. And obviously, fasted training, probably for a lot of people, convenience seems to be the best thing, but maybe not from a like a recovery standpoint and obviously like you said from a hormonal standpoint it's not really the most optimal position to put yourself in is there any other signs that we might be 
paying close attention to it or if we even see those signals arise to say, okay, maybe we should address that, maybe move to a, a Fed training site then? Yeah, I would say like, well, number one would, would be as well, like if you're not getting the most from your training session. So like sometimes we very often think of weight loss, weight loss, weight loss. But if you think about it, and I'm sure you know this yourself, fasting doesn't actually give you this advantage over weight loss. The reason time restricted eating actually works is because it means that you have a smaller window to eat calories. So fasted training like is kind of put on this pedestal, whereas I actually feel like it shouldn't be up there because it does potentially hinder your performance as well. So one of those kind of red flags, again, would be that you're not getting the most from your training sessions. You're not maybe like adding as much lean tissue as you expected you like would be on a periodized program. Um, Another one would be sleep as well. Like thankfully, a lot of people, when they do time restricted feeding, they just essentially skip breakfast. Therefore, they tend to be eating lunch and dinner. So they do have like ample amount of of calories and food to um, to go to bed with. Um, But if it was the flip side and they were maybe eating in the morning, having their lunch and then finishing up, potentially um, you could you'd be you could be going to bed with kind of a slightly elevated cortisol and that could potentially impact on your sleep. so to be totally honest, I don't love doing fasting with women because I don't think that there's, I don't think the benefits of it and the advantage of it, of it outweigh the negative, the potential negative implications. Yeah. yeah. And I like the, the one thing that really had that light bulb moment with myself when I read your post, it was, okay, I've always favored fat. I've always favored training to be fed simply from a performance standpoint. And it's always the thing that I always promoted, but obviously we have, clients who you know might just simply not be able to to get to the gym like if you have kids and you can't train at 6 p.m 7 p.m 8 p.m or you you just have to train in the morning is there anything that we could do potentially like if you have a client who's training at 7 a.m what would you recommend to almost try to kick them out of that fasted state for training is there any like easily digestible food sources that you would recommend before their training session to get in I love a banana. I just think it's the easiest thing. You're getting in sugar. It's it's easy to eat. Like most people, like a lot of people, obviously, if they're used to training fast and it's quite early in the morning, they're like, oh, I can't think about like a bowl of porridge or anything like that. Um, even like something like a little yogurt with some berries, like something kind of light, but something that's going to give your body um carbohydrates. I think they're kind of my go-to, to be honest. Um, I generally tend to like you can obviously have nuts or something like that, but I do prefer to have like something carby and maybe like a little bit of protein with it. Um, so yeah, that's that would be my recommendation. So yeah. you, like, and I, one thing that I I don't know if you're referring to this post is probably when I was chatting on stories, but it might have been the one where I was talking about okay, if you're training fasted, sorry, you're you're fasting, you're training, and you're having a coffee like that there are three things that are essentially acting as a stressor on your body and my dms literally explode and people like oh my god i literally do that every morning i'm like i'm not saying you can't do that i did that for years and i had no issues but i was able to do that because i had no issues with my menstrual cycle whereas the amount of like the pattern that i saw on my dms of people being like oh my god my cycle like is all over the place or i have really bad pms and this potentially could be the reason um so it's just again it's just being more aware of like i would say that like i always kind of term your menstrual cycle like your barometer of health like it's a really good review of your health it tells you so much so you think about it it's kind of considered like it's often considered our fifth vital sign so our other four vital signs would be your blood pressure your temperature your um respiratory rate and your heart rate and like you know yourself if your heart rate was going through the roof or it was really low one morning or your temperature was your temperature was raging you'd go to like you go to the doctor you go to the emergency room but for some reason when our menstrual cycle is all over the shop we're just like oh yeah like need to yeah probably need to sort that out like we don't really kind of give it the attention and the concern that it should I think there is a bit of a change like happening now like I do think that it's so amazing that we're all getting so much more in tune with our cycles but like you wouldn't believe the amount of people who would say to you oh yeah like I I don't have a period it's great and I'm like what that's that's insane that is your body screaming at you to tell you that you need to change something so I do think there's a change. Um, I have definitely seen it. Um, and there's even just people like, and I just love getting people like one of my biggest things would be getting people to track their cycle. So you should know like straight off, like what, what's your average cycle? You should be like, yeah, it's 32 days. Like everyone should know that. Like, and it's so interesting as well. Like if you tune into your cycle, you will know, I'm sure you've talked about this before in the podcast, but 
you will know like why you're acting the same the right the certain way that you're acting like you'll notice that when you're like on day 13 14 when your estrogen is surging and your testosterone is surging you feel great you feel energetic you got a spring in your step like you're so sociable like it's a really good time for public speaking doing podcasts that kind of thing and you're just your communication skills are at an all-time high because your body literally wants you to go out and be sociable and find someone to have sex (laughs) um and then on the flip side you'll notice that like i to be totally honest i had like kind of four days before my cycle i'm so low like i will always cry like an ad will come onto tv and i will just be bawling and i'd be like look at my calendar and i'm like yeah day 24 and like my husband would be like i need to get that calendar because you are a psycho four days before your period every single month and sometimes we'll we'll literally be in the middle of an argument and he'd be like what day on your cycle and I'll just start laughing and then crying like it's it's crazy um I just find it so so interesting but being more in tune with how you feel and like where you are in your cycle is so important because like there would be days where I'm feeling quite low and you look at your calendar you're like no my world isn't falling apart I'm just doing a period in four days <laughs> you know so it is it's it's just such an empowering thing that we can do as women is to just tune into our cycle and understand how our bodies work I think it's something that like you said a lot more people are becoming more in tune with like we, we would aim to look at a lot of our natural cycles and we try to almost mimic our training around the cycle so week one two follicular will allow like the highest threshold of strength if we're looking at hit training allow that to be at its highest proximities and then when we come into kind of week one week two luteal we'll always have that like a little bit of a declining effect you know just try to ease things in and i think as as coaches it's a great almost tool to have within your check-in sheets like know your clients cycle as well because i always think like prevention is better than cure and if we're coming up to a, a month where pms symptoms are going to be really really bad or client may be suffering with some really bad digestive issues a week before the cycle whatever it may be if we can do anything as coaches to decrease those stressors like we look at like maybe like a rep and reserve system where we would take down the proximity to failure so week one to two go to failure go nuts you're allowed to go yeah. bananas in the gym week three and four scale that back use a more reserved approach to training um but yeah it's great that we're all becoming a little bit more in tune with it but so just one thing i want to touch touch back on there i just made a quick note of when you spoke about it you were talking about that kind of morning setup so do you have like an almost like a morning routine that you like to send over to your to your clients i know you're talking there about you know no training no coffee and um, you know is there anything that you do to try to promote like healthier hormone response first thing in the morning w- within your clients um not particularly to be honest like kind of moving away from the kind of nutrition exercise side of things like i would always try get clients to, like implement some sort of a morning routine for their mental health yeah and um, so getting up before the kids like even if it's just like 15 minutes to do like I'm a huge fan of journaling I think it's so so good to just check in with yourself first thing in the morning last thing at night it literally takes like less than two minutes and it honestly like creates just such an amazing beginning for your day um so from that perspective I would like a morning routine for like well, what, what I would recommend is just kind of taking a few minutes for yourself and just calming down if you think about it your cortisol is at its highest first thing in the morning and that's essentially what wakes us up in the morning to get us out of bed and it starts to it starts to hopefully de- decrease as the day goes on and um, so what you should really be doing is kind of trying to calm your body down as much as you can so checking in with yourself doing a bit of journaling um yeah just having a sit down just taking it all in and then start your day and um, but yeah like I would always say like if it is breakfast are you if you are like breaking that fast um make sure it's something with a bit of protein in it um and something with a bit of carbs and fats in it and um, like a protein-based breakfast um, yeah. and then if it is just run into the gym like fast it just grab like a yogurt and half a banana or something like that and um, or even like a protein shake and half a banana would be perfect yeah I, I like that approach we have something kind of similar um just just from actually funny enough you touched on about the awakening we use an, an alarm clock with other clients called alarmy have you heard of this before is this like does it no, no, go on. <laughs> um, it basically like it very, it's a very soft awakening. So the whole kind of purpose of it is to try to decrease that like cortisol over spill that we might get first thing in the morning. But when you wake up, it forces something to be done before the alarm will shut off. So it can for you, you have to do like 25 steps with the phone in your hand 
before the alarm will knock okay. off. It's a great way to just kind of get people up and get people moving. But we just okay. have like a written rule inside of our business that no coffee before meal one and at least you know 500 mils of fluid has to go in before coffee and yeah. just little, little that was when i forgot like hydration that. yeah okay. that, it's great to to get in because when you touch there about the coffee aspect it's like when you look at like an alarm clock on an iphone like oh my good god they should be banned the number one thing to leave in 2022 should be alarm clocks from iphones because they're just so loud and abrupt and it's like what's the what's the next step everyone straight in to the Nespresso machine and put on a coffee and I just don't think people actually realize how how detrimental that could actually be that much stress it would would there be a position as well Michelle would your body be a little bit more like sensitive to stress first first thing in the morning as well just after you've awoke potentially like one thing that I like you'll find if you've worked it with anyone um, who has anxiety very often first thing in the morning their anxiety is at the worst because their cortisol is at their highest and mm. um, but yeah like potentially you are more sensitive because again you're just you're already elevated you're already at a really high point so as you said you're potentially going to cause this like cortisol overspill which is definitely not what we want so we need to really just try and calm things down as best we can like one thing that I would find really good for someone with them um, anxiety I would say like definitely don't do faster training it's the worst thing ever like your your cortisol is going to stay elevated your anxiety is going to stay elevated so having like again like a balanced a balanced meal and hydrating and maybe some magnesium would be really important just for bringing bringing yourself back down um, is a big thing yeah and uh, when when it comes to HIIT training if, if if you're looking at like training in the morning would you always opt for more like either resistance training or more low intensity steady state form of exercise as opposed to hit to be honest i don't think the research is there about like the the cortisol response for females at different times of the day um if it's there i'm i'm not aware of it to be honest um but it would mainly be like looking at your week and saying okay am i doing like four hit sessions okay. a week? like yeah. this would be so much better if i just sw- like switched in maybe three resistance training and one hit style session um so I would more so look at like the cumulative effect over the course of the weeks and the months as opposed to the specific day. Yeah. Okay. The, the only thing I, I would for myself, well, I, I don't favor hit really for anybody just from mm-hmm. a recovery perspective. I think it's, it's very difficult to recover from. I always favor list, but I always think, you know, post post exercise from hit training, your heart rate just becomes so highly elevated. You know, I always think first thing in the morning, you'd never reach that from resistance training and <clears throat> you'd never reach that from low intensity. Surely that massive surge in heart rate, mm. pure sympathetic dominance, that's going to carry over. And when it continues to carry over, like, is it going to impact the digestion? Is that going to impact then everything else? So that would be my only like two cents and say, well, maybe it's not the most optimal first yeah. in the morning um yeah and i suppose the reason for that is essentially what we call like the epoch effect like the excess post-exercise oxygen consumption which is fine for men like they're they're getting that afterburn they're burning more yeah. calories but potentially for women again if they're if they have a lot of other stressors going on and um, if their menstrual cycle is disturbed like is that something that we want to be causing yeah. do you know um so yeah the reward to the risk ratio just exactly it's, it's that's, well. and that's what it's all about it's all about looking at okay what am i really going to get from training faster what am I really going to get from this hit session? Can I get it in another way? Um, because there's going to be like a lot of potential adverse effects with implementing that hit or implementing that faster training. Yeah, brilliant. No, that's that's fantastic. Um, I, I, I wanted to have a, a good part of this conversation today to be about um, HA. And I think like, like we spoke about off air, there's just so much misinformation about HA and even like you you put up that post I referenced earlier on about the kind of the diagnosis between the two of HA and, and polycystic ovaries. We just give us maybe an insight into HA and just what what is what is HA? Yeah, so I might start off with all the different definitions because I think we all use them. I'm probably guilty to use them interchangeably as well. So we'll start with amenorrhea. So amenorrhea is the absence of your menstrual cycle, first of all. We've primary amenorrhea and we've secondary amenorrhea. So primary amenorrhea means that um, a girl of 15 years of age hasn't gotten her period yet. Our secondary amenorrhea is the absence of a menstrual cycle. 
um, for three months. So three months if your cycle has been previously regular and six months absent if it has been irregular. Um, so some of our causes potentially of secondary amenorrhea would be HA, hypothalamic amenorrhea, which I'll chat about, um, PCOS, elevated prolactin. So they would be reasons as to why you're missing your period for three to six months. Then if we look at hypothalamic amenorrhea, this is the absence of your menstrual cycle for three to six months due to a issue with the hypothalamus. So our hypothalamus is essentially like a master regulator within our brain and it, it essentially um, impacts or controls our reproductive function. Um, so then what we again, to kind of go finally deeper into that is what we call functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. And this is what, we, what we're what we essentially talking about very often, like on this podcast. So functional hypothalamic amenorrhea essentially means that what we mean by functional is that it indicates that there is a behavioral reason or a behavioral cause as to why this hypothalamic amenorrhea is happening. It means that no specific di- disease has been like figured out or identified, and it's actually reversible if we address the behavioral reason as to why we've lost it in the first place. So you know yourself, the behavioral reasons are going to be under eating, over exercising, um, rapid weight loss, or psychological stressors, or very often what we see is a combination of of all of the above. Um, that's essentially what, what we talk about when we talk about um, functional hypothalamic amenorrhea or HA. Um, so what happens in um, hypothalamic amenorrhea or what, what I mean by is functional hypothalamic amenorrhea when we're talking about it. So what happens in HA is um, our hypothalamus releases a hormone called um, gonadotropin releasing hormone, GN or H. And this essentially tells our pituitary, to, pituitary gland to release LH and FSH. So luteinizing hormone and um, uh, follicle, follicular stimulating hormone. Um, and you know yourself with FSH and LH, these are essentially what kickstart our menstrual cycle. So our FSH is going to tell these certain follicles to um, stimulate them to grow. And our LH is going to cause this elevation in estrogen um, and essentially um, kickstart our ovaries to release an egg. So what happens in hypothalamic amenorrhea is these stressors come along and they switch off our gonadotropin releasing hormone. And when they switch off, then what happens is your pituitary isn't going to be told to release LH and FSH. Um, and the most significant health concern, well, what I, what what I would consider and what the research would consider the most significant health concern associated with um, with HA is that you don't get this increase in estrogen. And when you don't get an increase in estrogen, like estrogen is going to be so important for bone health. So HA, if it goes on for a prolonged period of time, is going to be associated with um, osteopenia or osteoporosis later on in life. And this is the reason, and this is kind of why I don't tend to get like too annoyed with um, GPs when they prescribe the oral contraceptive pill. So you and I both know that the oral contraceptive pill is not a cure for hypothalamic amenorrhea. It's the opposite. It's just going to mask the issue. But, but but, it on, it? Exactly. Yeah. But what it does do is it does have that um, protective effect against her bone health. So I don't agree with the pill being prescribed for quote unquote regulating your cycle, but at the same time, it does protect your bones from osteopenia and osteoporosis. And what really should be happening is we should be referring on to a nutritionist or a nutritional therapist who can help. Um, But that's just, I I sometimes think that people don't know the reason as to why um, the pill is very often prescribed for um, HA. The other thing that's going to have an effect. While you you said that there, do you think that maybe some people's, thought process and obviously it's a wrong thought process but it's just to regulate the cycle again like oh I, yeah, I, I've yeah. Heard that's been said a, a thousand times over I, I was put on the pill to regulate my cycle obviously we know that it's not an actual menstrual cycle that yes. we're going but yeah. is, that, is that probably one of their rationales behind it as well potentially because very often what the gp says to them is that it's going to regulate their cycle and if you don't have an understanding of female physiology, which most women don't, um, they're not going to understand the difference between a, a menstrual cycle like bleed and a pill bleed. Um, so they just think that they have their period. So I will have clients come to me and say like, oh, I haven't had a period in um in two years and then when we delve back they two years ago they came off the pill after being on the pill for 10 years so I have to explain to them you actually haven't had a period in 12 years and it is like it is quite scary like for them to hear that because they didn't realize that their reproductive system hadn't been doing what it was supposed to be doing for the last 12 years and these are women who are coming off the pill after being told um 
maybe that it would regulate their cycle um, or maybe fix their skin issues and they're coming off the pill and essentially what they've done is they've just kicked the can down the road for another 10 years to eventually come off it to re- for us to realize that we need to go back and unravel everything that's been all of the issues that, that have occurred essentially and that's not to say that the pill has created any issues and the research shows that uh, the research would 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 definitely suggest that the pill doesn't adversely affect fertility but at the same time it it costs us a lot of time and most of the most very often when a 30 year old 32 year old 35 year old comes off the pill they want to be pregnant yesterday not in like six months like 12 months time um so so yeah that's that's a that's a big part of it do you think just as you, you were speaking about there did kind of did the diagnosis that maybe some people were put on the pill years ago has that changed a little bit now like is it still to the case now if somebody had a skin issue it's not like okay well let's maybe get to the root cause of the problem or if somebody has really bad pms they're they're put on the pill now uh, that happened a lot years ago okay well the pill is going to fix all of these issues is that still the case now or rgp is trying to dive a little bit deeper and actually get to the root cause or like you said using a referral scheme where they'll come to somewhere like the fit clinic and they'll get a referral to the fit clinic and say okay maybe let's not use that just form of birth control let's actually try to fix the problem do you think that yeah. has so like thankfully we we actually work with a lot of gps and once they kind of see our methodology and how we work with clients and maybe follow us on instagram they actually um well they've, they've said a lot of our gps that we work with have set up um a referral to us but Brilliant. to be honest for the most part no most gps like a lot of the issues that we're getting with clients is gps telling them giving them essentially a little bit of misinformation unfortunately okay. um so yeah i think we have a lot of work to do um but we'll, we'll get there. We will. Get it's there. great. Well, even, even like a podcast like this, if it touches one, if it, if it gets to one person and it, yeah. it sinks into one person, even like, like you spoke about there, that misinformation about the menstrual cycle. Like I've been on the pill for 10 years, but like you said, we haven't actually had a full blown menstrual cycle in 10 years. Your body hasn't gone through that, that process. Um, but kind of, kind of just touching in there again, when you were talking about like the prescription then of, of the pill, for hypothalamic amenorrhea from from the gps their, their rationale is just to try to regulate the cycle but obviously that's not the problem so if we're looking at okay let's maybe take the step past that and what what do we actually need to do here like what what's your almost like your first protocol with a client who would have come to you and you've diagnosed it with functional and um, hypothalamic amenorrhea so with all of our clients, we take a three-pronged approach. And what that is, is nutrition, supplementation, and lifestyle. So with nutrition, um, like one thing I actually do want to say as well is that the amount of clients that we get or like DMs that I get about what supplement do I take for HA? I haven't had a period in X amount of time. You can take all the Agnes Cassis in the world, but if you don't address the reason as to why you lost your period in the first place or can't get it back, you're not going to get it back. You need to address it with addressing the underlying issue of nutrition, like under eating, under fueling, over exercising and having too many, like too, too many um, stressors in your lifestyle. So that would be a huge thing just to kind of, yes, like supplementation is an approach that we take, but it is by no means like th- the main reason as to why we can get females to regain their cycle. Um, so I think that sometimes we like tend to see HA as like a really complex issue and all these different supplements or like all these different adaptogenic herbs and stuff like that are going to have a really significant effect. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's energy availability. That's what the issue is. It's a stressor on your system. So nutrition and exercise are so, so important. Um, what the research would suggest is that, um, Obviously, it totally depends on the person, their activity level and their weight. But what the research suggests is that um, 2,500, it's actually 2,533 calories is what's been shown as um, the optimal calorie range for um, essentially regaining your cycle and correcting what's been the issues that have been going on. Um, and you know yourself, that is so difficult to say to say to someone who potentially has disordered eating patterns. What I, I yeah. um, do you use a gradual approach like if someone comes to you under 1100 calories a day psychologically they're emotionally attached mm-hmm. to 1100 calories so for you to say two five in the grand scheme of things we know like we could both 
advise someone 2,500 calories and make it look like nothing, like ramp yeah. up their dietary fat. It's not going to seem like they're eating a lot of food, but for them, just seeing that number, have you been met with that in the past where is it like an immediate barrier? And do you use a gradual approach, like go from 11 to 15, 15 to 17, or do you just aim to just bring them up straight away? Well, to be honest, 99% of the time, um, tracking macros and tracking calories is very much like a trigger for our clients who could do it really improving their relationship with food um so we don't actually like give them the specific target we actually have to very often have to take them away from calorie tracking okay. and macro tracking and just give it to them like okay this is what like maybe a palm portion size of this and okay, a fistful right. of this so they yeah. don't know the actual numbers you exactly. just give them that okay brilliant okay. yeah it depends like of course, you know yourself there there are some clients that absolutely like if they have a disordered eating pattern a trigger for them will be tracking macros a trigger for them will be counting the calories and then there's some people who like would be kind of um maybe reaching the orthorexia um kind of um sector of eating disorders where they're fearful of um different types of foods so like the quote-unquote clean and unclean foods like the good and the bad types of foods so it does like it's about looking at that client and saying okay what is this what are this client's triggers for their disordered eating patterns and how can we take those away um but yeah, like it will, it depends on the client. It depends on their, their um, openness to really, really recovering. If they're very open to recovering, we can like increase them quite um, quickly. If we really have to um, give them a lot of convincing, um, it, it's often like a, a more gradual process. I, I, would, I would imagine the gradual probably be a bit more well responded. Yeah. On their yeah end. Absolutely. So I think what, what's, what's almost gotten them into this position is that low fuel, low energy availability, just kind of scaling back to like almost back to the start of what you said about the awareness of, of stress on the body and your body, not essentially going into allowing a menstrual cycle to take place is what all those stresses, what you just spoke about, like low energy availability, you know, high exercise is your body basically understood that, okay, if I was to conceive, would it almost be like a, it's almost like a, like a, like a protection mechanism almost like why would I have a menstrual cycle in case the chances of me conceiving and if I conceived in this stressful environment is that like basically what happens to the body sorry Adam say that to me again sorry just so, to say yeah sorry <laughs> when, when when you have a client come in and like you said they're identifying you're identifying the stressor so you've got low food low energy availability high exercise and what you said back to the start, like your body will recognize them as stressors, like they're, they're causing stress to the body. Will your body not have the menstrual cycle almost like a protection mechanism in case you conceive? Well, what it is, is more so, um, that's a good point, but what it actually is, is that your body, if you think about it, your, your reproductive function is actually a secondary function. A primary function is actually survival, like you surviving. So if you are in a place of very, very low energy availability, your body is going to prioritize your survival over your secondary function, which is your reproductive function. So that is the reason. Potentially, like I suppose it is a case that it does prevent you like maybe there is some sort of a mechanism as to why um that it does prevent you from um conceiving because it's not a safe environment to bring to be honest like, i think that we don't know we don't have the research on that but the re- what we, the research that we do have would suggest that it's really about you surviving and giving your um energy to your primary survival function of digestion and metabolism as opposed to reproductive function okay and I know we, we, you spoke about the like, low energy availability and is there any other causes of, of HA? Like, is there any other like hormonal imbalances that might cause this as well? So, um, yes. Like when we talk about HA and not functional HA, yeah. so like, um, another like HA, obviously a cause of HA would be PCOS, which is a hormonal imbalance. Um, another one would be, um, elevated prolactin. Um, so this could obviously be happening if you are breastfeeding and that's going to prevent your menstrual cycle from returning. This is essentially like post um, partum on your breastfeeding is essentially a form of hypothalamic amenorrhea. And then, um, what um some people can ha- have which is actually quite common believe it or not is a um benign um, pituitary adenoma um so what that is is essentially it's a tumor on the pituitary and that is another form of ha that causes elevated um prolactin as well okay brilliant and just when i question i want to ask when you're looking at your 2500 calories is there 
like a, a certain um, like percentage or I know you don't give it to the client, but in your eyes, a certain range of dietary fat that you'd want them to be at, like, would you want them to try to increase their dietary fat quite a lot from where they are at the moment? Yeah. So like my kind of like our ballpark would be like never lower than 30% of your total calories would be coming okay. from fats. Um, you know, yourself, our fats are progesterone or estrogen. All of our hormones are made from like that phospholipid, that phospholipid bilayer is essentially fatty acids is made from fats. Um, so it's really, really important to make sure that we're um, giving our body ample amount of fatty acids to essentially synthesize those hormones. Um, so yeah, I would, I would generally, the rule of thumb that I would have is never less than 30% of your total calories coming from that okay brilliant and any other factors that you you would consider so obviously we'll, we'll maybe look at training or, or their output obviously they have pretty high expenditure would your first protocol not to be i suppose cut it out completely but would you have a protocol or a recommendation to say scale it right back to x amount of sessions per week so Funny enough, what the research says is that the easiest way to um, get your period back is to completely cease exercise. We like okay. that's that's kind of that's an obvious one. Um, but you know yourself and working with clients, it's so difficult yeah. for someone who has relied on exercise um, as um, something to manage their weight. And maybe it's a control element for them. It's very difficult to move them from six or maybe even double training sessions a day um, to completely ceasing exercise um so it would be really like depend again it's always um it's a client-centered approach so it completely depends on where they are and where they're willing to go with it um but um a gradual reduction would normally be what our approach would be and then instead of saying like oh stop you're going to stop exercising like bringing in walking bringing in yoga bringing in pilates and much more like less strenuous forms of exercise and replacing it as opposed to completely taking exercise away and you know yourself it's difficult with clients it's really really difficult to to manage um to manage um their expectations around it so like a lot of clients will come to us and as I was saying like hope that we have this magical cocktail of supplements that we can give them that will get their period back but unfortunately that's that's just not going to cut it would you would you look at implementing certain things around like meditation guided breathing as well to try to lower down their stressors 100 percent, yeah and like you know yourself it's it's all about like whatever your own self-care jam is so like for me it's journaling I love journaling and I've only recently started to like kind of tap into breath work which I'm really really enjoying um meditation (laughs) maybe we'll get there someday um I love yoga I probably just need to kind of find the time in my calendar to really do it um but it's all about finding what works for you like I also love like a walk in nature um those kind of things it's really about what um what you really find like gets you going like it might be drawing it might be coloring like um one thing I love is those like um those like coloring books are really really cool like the adult coloring right. books and in, in, in the podcast I only spoke about that last week oh yeah that. they're brilliant, brilliant. yeah, yeah. And, you know what I actually had a few people listen to the podcast and reach out and say I've actually never even thought of that and what you know me and MJ were discussing it's like anything like you said like yoga meditation guided breathing journaling it's just getting your mind off something and onto something else and obviously if it's a a psychological stressor that you're undergoing just having that ability even for 25 30 minutes to just shut off and ignore is going to cause a very big very big impact and when you i know you're saying about meditation it's it's hard to it's hard to do what i find a lot of people it's obviously a a very common prescription now for people to say look meditation is the go-to but i think when you're looking at an individual, like depending on where they're coming from, like if it's a physical stress that they're undergoing, meditation might be brilliant. That might be a perfect solution. But if it's a psychological stress, if it's extremely high anxiety, there's you're fighting a losing battle trying to get them to meditate because it's not going to really help them. If, if anything, it's probably going to make the anxiety worse because we're kind of almost setting them up um, for a failure. Reading is a great one that I like to recommend to, to people. I think it's great. Yeah. 15, 20 minutes. A day just to just to get your mind off something and get it onto something else it's a brilliant that's actually that's actually such a good point adam about the um meditating and not being for everyone so like one thing that we work with a lot is fertility and anyone who's trying to get pregnant it is all they're thinking about like on a day-to-day basis so to turn around and say like oh meditating like try that out you're sitting in an empty room with your thoughts like yeah. it's like me saying like don't think about a red bus the first thing that you're going to think about is a red bus so like if you tell yourself okay I'm going to take yeah. the 30 minutes for myself and not worry about 
like not being able to have a baby like of course that's all you're going to sit there and talk about or think about so that's actually a really good point and I think it's one that not a lot of people make like for a lot of people that have anxiety at this moment in time meditation could potentially be a really bad thing for them so yeah like taking your mind off it as you said doing reading your coloring your journaling and um, might be much better like those kind of doing things I'm more of a doing person than a like yeah. switching off person yeah. um so have you ever recommended grounding to any of your clients no but I do it myself I it's actually love it yeah I absolutely yeah. love it yeah I I I, I don't do it much now but in 2019 when I was I was on prep for a bodybuilding show and I just needed to have something I'm like I just get me yeah. off bodybuilding for a half an hour two three times a week and somebody recommended grounding to me so I used to drive out to um Port Marnock or, or Dolly Mount Beach and just put a podcast in and just literally go for a quick walk up and down the coast and that's probably one of the most powerful things I've ever done for stress management. It's just that's incredible, amazing. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. For anyone who doesn't know, it's basically taking your shoes off and walking on the ground. <laughs> it sounds fancy, but... Yeah. Um, okay, so I just want to touch on briefly, um, I know we just touched on kind of nutritional recommendations for for improving um, with, 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 with functional HA, but I know you said that supplements aren't the, the be-all and end-all. And what I actually think for myself, there is a little bit of misinformation about supplementation so one of the supplements that i've heard consistently thrown around it's dim and one thing that i've some people have come to me and asked now will dim help regulate the cycle again have you have any experience with this before in the past so if the underlying issue is um elevated androgens then like with something like pcos like dim can be quite effective to be honest it's not something i think that dim is like over recommended or over like obviously not over prescribed but over recommended by a lot of people um I think it's a good temporary fix for like it's really really effective for um someone who's come off um the oral contraceptive pill and they um will experience like a surge in androgens um after that point which can very often um wreak havoc with their skin like cause um breakouts it can prevent their cycle from returning um so for that as a temporary um as a fix uh, dim can be really effective but for something like um HA, it's not, you're, it doesn't make sense. It's not the same mechanism. It's not helping the hypothalamus. It's not supporting the um, HPA axis. So DIM definitely wouldn't be something that I would recommend with HA. I think very often, it, maybe it's that it's associated with um, post-pill amenorrhea, essentially. So then it gets lumped in with functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, yeah. but it's not the same thing. Because obviously you'll have it and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but is DIM helps like basically improve like estrogen metabolism isn't it plays a role in the estrogen so exactly yeah i was when i was trying to kind of put that consensus together myself again i was thinking well how can just improving estrogen when you haven't improved fsh first yes i'm missing a a chain link missing a step a very vital chain link as well what would be what would be some supplements that you would usually recommend Um, so one that i would love is magnesium so magnesium is like known as nature's tranquilizer and it has a really really calming effect on the central nervous system so i find um magnesium really really good it really like supports the hpa axis and supports um that stress response and the other one would be um zinc so this has actually been shown to support the uh, hippocampus and this is the part of the brain which actually again like calms the hpa axis and so our hpx axis is essentially like um involved in regulating our stress response and the other one would be um b vitamins so again they've been um shown to help us support or help us essentially manage stress and helps with improving anxiety it actually boosts our neurotransmitters GABA and serotonin which is how that helps and the other one we've kind of mentioned are adaptogenic herbs so um Another one would be ashwagandha. So this is essentially an adaptogenic herb which which supports our adrenal glands um, and it really like helps negate the long-term effects of stress. Um, It's interesting. I would recommend recommend ashwagandha just from a stress standpoint, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know it played an important role and could potentially play an important role in HA recovery as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you think about it, you're dampening the stress response and yeah. um, you're kind of like moving us more towards like a, away from a um, sympathetic um, nervous system state to a parasympathetic nervous system state. So, yeah, ashwagandha can be really effective. And then the last one um, 
which is very, very often cited for um, HA is Vitex Agnes Castus. So this helps by um, increasing LH. And again, it supports the hypothalamus as well. So yeah, they would be my go-tos. Um, I think that's that would be all of them. Okay, brilliant. And um, one, one question I want to ask would be about blood work. Um, if, if we're assessing blood work from a client and if you were trying to assess maybe if it is HA or maybe PCOS, what would be some signal signs between the two or the, the difference between the two yeah so first of all like one thing i do want to say is that ha and pcos oh my god like i'm going blue in the face like at how often they're misdiagnosed it's and it's so unfortunate because if you think about it the how you manage um ha and pcos and like the treatment plan essentially from a nutrition and exercise perspective is completely different they're really really different so you could potentially exacerbate your pcos or exacerbate your ha by not knowing what what your issue is um so in terms of blood work and um, the kind of the real telltale sign and this was the issue in, sorry in general just to backtrack with um ha is there's no definitive marker. There's no biomarker that you can look in the blood and say, oh, look, this is elevated. It's above this threshold. Like say, for example, like a, thi- like a thyroid issue. If your TSH is above this value, you therefore have hypoth- hypothyroidism. We don't have that with HA. There's no real solid biomarker that we have to determine it, um, which is why it very often gets um, confused and misdiagnosed with PCOS. Um, but the main thing would be in... Um, in PCOS, your LH, your luteinizing hormone will be elevated. And in terms of a ratio, like it will be like your FSH to um, LH, it'll be a higher ratio of LH. Whereas on the flip side with your um, HA, your hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, what you'll often find is that your FSH and your LH are like quite low. Sometimes they can be normal, but sometimes they're very often they're quite low because if you think about it, your gonadotropin releasing hormone isn't doing what it needs to do. It's not telling the pituitary to release LH and FSH. So they're quite low. But then if you look at the ratio, it's different to it's on the flip side to um your PCOS. So your um FSH to LH ratio, your FSH would be slightly higher if there was um, an elevation there. Okay. And on, on, on a blood work panel of, with, with PCOS, is there like an, an elevated marker in testosterone that you should be looking for as well? Yeah, very often you'll find that um, sex hormone binding globulin will be elevated. So that would be like another telltale sign of PCOS. Okay, interesting. Very interesting. Okay, so what I, th- what I think we'll do now is just maybe we'll do like a, just like a wrap up of HA recovery. If you were to just put it into like a couple of sentences, some, some key points that you would really like people to understand what would that be okay so the main thing is that it's a issue with very often an issue with um, energy availability so that means that we're not taking in enough calories and or we're and or we are um, expending too many calories and so the first port of call that I would use with clients is bringing up their calories um as high as we can like hopefully towards like 2500 and um, one thing I would say is that it's really difficult to recover from HA without support and um, whether that's whoever it is you go to um your GP or a nutritionist it's very often for most people it's a mental battle and um, so I think having the support there is really really important so if you think about it like the average um recovery time for HA is about six months that's if you do everything right that's what the research I think the research suggests that 75 percent if they do exactly like what's what's written in the textbooks um 75 percent of them will have recovered from HA by six months um so if you think about it, if you're doing all of these different things that are really like challenging you mentally, like increasing your calories, decreasing your training, six months is a very, very long time to do that without seeing any changes, without seeing like your first period. So I think the support there is so important. And like we will have HA clients like check in and be like, this is really grinding me down. And we have to remind them you are doing the work, like it, your period is on the way. So I think it's so, so important to have that psychological support. Um, so that would be a big thing. So increasing your um increasing your calorie intake and um, reducing your energy expenditure, favoring more um maybe like less stressful forms of exercise um less impacting forms of exercise like your yoga your pilates um your walking um i would definitely look at reducing your high intensity interval training like if you still are adamant that you want to continue with exercise um resistance training will won't have that same like stress um stress response on your system as h as high intensity interval training would um 
looking at your psychological stressors, seeing where you need to make improvements or reductions. And if you can't looking at, okay, what strategies can I implement to um, help me manage like your stress management strategy? So as we were saying, um, a podcast, like listening to a podcast, doing your grounding work, doing your journaling, your meditation and um, all those different things. And bear in mind that some of them aren't going to be for you. So it's just about the trial and error. Like, some people love doing like sitting in a bath. That is just not for me. <laughs> um, and like, this is such a waste of time. Um, so just the best thing to do is find like your, what I call like your self-care jam and do that. Um, and then only then once you've addressed those things and you're, you're honed in on those things, then looking at adding in supplementation because supplementation will not fix everything um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so potentially your magnesium, your B vitamins would be really important. Um, potentially um some herbs like ashwagandha and um vitex agnus castus could be really effective um and the main thing is like going easy on yourself and being mindful that like you're you're doing the work and understanding what the priority is like again remembering that your menstrual cycle is such a huge vital sign of your health so if you don't have it your main agenda your main focus should be really really trying to get it back and bring your body back to a state where it is truly healthy yeah that's incredible. One of the, the, the key things that I think I took away from that is impatience. Just impatience is going to kill progression for mm-hmm. those individuals. And we we've we have had recommended um you know uh, outsource for this in the past. And it's the first thing that we always say in that initial conversation. It's like it may be a long road and it may be a tough battle, but it's the best battle that you'd ever fight. Like yeah. hands down, having full control back of your natural cycles again is going to be the best battle you've ever done um okay that was absolutely incredible is there anything else that you wanted to to touch on or anything else you want to speak about on those topics no i think that's everything i think we right. could have covered a good bit <laughs> where can um where, where can people find you where can people find out a bit more information if they wanted to inquire any of your services so we are the fit clinic on instagram and the fitclinic.ie is our website awesome i make sure because i've tried to search you a few times you have to have been the Fit clinic. Oh yeah, the fit clinic. Yeah, people call us fit clinic. I'm like, no, we're the fit. No, it's actually uh, Keen O'Rourke. When I was spoken to him, it was a long time ago. He worked at you now, but he always referred to you as as fit clinic. And I was always in my mind fit clinic. And every time I tried to search you, I was like, no, it's the fit clinic. So if anyone is searching Instagram, it's the fit clinic. All right, Michelle, that was amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having.